And welcome back to Fully Equipped. One week after I interviewed Marty Jertson from Ping, the whole crew is back this week for more useless, useful, depending on how you want to view it, gear ramblings from your favorite boys. As always, Gene, RB, how we doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. Fun, sun's finally shining in beautiful San Diego. I think summer's here. It's a toasty 74 degrees. So uh, can't complain. Going to go play Tory on Saturday. So I, life is I good. I hate you. North or South? Uh, south. Oh. Want to get my brains beaten out. I, I, do it about once, I do it about once a year and, and it's like, okay, I'm never going to do this again. Then I come back in another year. So the, the, regardless of the tease on your distance, the insidious thing about that golf course is the fairway bunkers are all placed between 230 and about 250 yards. So you can take great drives just slightly off, which would normally be in the rough. And you've got like 190 to an elevated green and you're just, you're dead. You're yeah, thanks. absolutely dead, but the views are beautiful day. and it'll be fun. That makes me think of, I was, I've been watching the, uh, the tour de France, tour de France, um, bike thing on Netflix. And the, the quote, actually, it was from the episode I watched last night. It was uh, one of the guys like, uh, they're on one of the last stages and he goes, yeah, you know, it's sadistic. Like you don't, you completely forget how much pain you're in at the end of like one of these things. And by the time, and like, you never want to do it again. And like four weeks later, you're like, man, I can't wait to race next year. <laughs> and it's just the same thing about going to a golf course and getting your butt kicked. It's, it, 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 could, it, it could also be applied to having kids. You have one and then you're about, you're about six, eight months in. You're like, what am I doing? I'm sleep deprived. I'm losing my mind. And then about a year or two, you're like, Hey, I think I'll have another one. Eh, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. It's a, I, I will play a couple of golf courses, like maybe one to two rounds a year on a course that just is, is painful, you know? And it's like, back. Uh, midway through the round, you're you're thinking, why am I doing this? Usually, it's it's got to be a golf course that I haven't played before and one that's that's on the list. Like I, I have I have a list of like ten to fifteen courses where if I get the invite, I'm gone. I'm doing it, even if it's a golf course that's really tough. You gotta you gotta go. So, um, I think it when you play rounds like that on a really tough golf course, it at least in my opinion, it resets your game. It gives me gives me some realistic expectations for where I'm at. The hardest thing is like because I had this experience last year, I went out and played with a friend and like I was playing. Okay. And the course it's fairly tight driving, but he was struggling with the driver. And it's like, it's, you like really want to help somebody when you're, you're like doing okay. Like again, I wasn't like shooting lights up, but I was hitting fairways and he was all over the place. And I'm like, I kind of feel bad right now. <laughs> like, I'm like, do you want to move over to you? Do you want to do something else? Like we could do, we can figure this out later. But like, you know, I know this is not like fun. And by the time the, the 13th hole comes around, you're like, oh boy, someone's not very happy anymore. That's that's what liquor's for at that point. It, <laughs> go, it ceases to be a competitive round and it becomes an entertaining <laughs> round. So. so RB, I've seen you've been playing a lot of golf recently, which I fully support. But I don't really, I don't really care so much about the videos of you hitting shots. Your Your wife has a insanely good golf swing i'm actually like, I'm gonna, like I, aspirational golf swing i'll post another video she 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 stole my uh she stole my monopod this morning and, and went out and played again um I, I do everything i can to like push her out the door to go play golf uh, because she's always wanted to play golf 
like she always wants to play with somebody generally speaking. Right. And I, I mean, I understand like a lot of times a golf course can be a pretty intimidating place for like a, uh, like an individual woman going out. Who's like, like, you know, even though you book tea time, you don't know if you're going to get paired up with someone how that person is going to perceive your golf game, all that stuff. Right. And so, uh, yeah, I'll post, I got a, she put, she took a video of this drive she had and she put it in slow-mo and everything. So I'll post that a little bit later, but the whole thing is she like, she started golfing when she was a teenager before I met her. Um, and she got lessons right away. And I think that's one of the biggest things for a lot of golfers is like, she wasn't really young. So she didn't ingrain like bad habits because the club was heavy or anything like that. It was like, okay, like, let's get you like a partial set at least of like some clubs that are going to like kind of be in the general category of what's going to fit you. And let's start with lessons. And after about a year and a half full like club fitting and has just kind of her golf swings basically looked exactly the same. And if anyone's seen like it on Instagram, like, it's looked exactly the same since she was like 17, 18 years old, which is nuts. Um, Crazy. And so Crazy yeah, it's, it's, it's per- like, she gets it right at the top, right on plane and just like comes through. And uh, I know it was funny because I, I actually mentioned, I listened to the, the Marty interview. So if anyone hasn't listened to that, you can go back and listen to that. It's, it, there's like so much stuff in there. It's wicked. Um, but he was like, oh yeah, I saw that Ryan's on stack. Cause I know you got on it now. I saw you post I, about I it. I got it. I'm gonna I'm gonna start posting some baseline numbers here in the next week. So I got her on it in the in the winter because she saw that I was using it, and so like although she's using she's using my app like the profile and everything, but like she's picked up a lot of this. So like to go out and for her now to go and like hit shots, it's so much fun because not only is she hitting it further, she's hitting it better than she has in the past, and I think it's it just it's one of those things where I think for people it's she's and again she's gotten over the hump of like going out and play by herself she did it again this morning um and it's just like the idea of like pushing her the door and like go play go like the more you go out and do it the more you're going to get comfortable doing it and that to me is where i think and Haley ledbetter did a great video on this a couple like probably a month or two ago and it was like a, a guy goes to like what's considered an all-female club and you know like they just let male members in they completely reverse like the gender roles of like what a private club would have been like and it was hilarious it was really really funny and, you know, I think it is, it's just, it's fun to play golf with her because, and I think a lot of people are like, Oh, I don't want to play golf with my wife. I'm like, oh, I like going to play golf with my wife. I play golf with my friends too, but like, it's fun playing with her because it's, it's fun to see people like, regardless of if it's your wife or your kid or like a friend, family member or friend, like to see a golfer progress and enjoy the game. I think to me is, is just as fun. And it's kind of like, well, why we do what we do? Cause we get messages. I know we're going to talk about it today. Like we get messages from people are like, I want to try this. And then, you know, they message you back a couple weeks. They're like, I tried it and it worked and it was great. Right. And I think that to me is like, one of the great things about like what we do and, and the game itself. Can I tell you, it's actually funny that you just said that RB because I received, and this was right around the time where we were teasing golf ball, robotic golf ball testing insights. And I had a guy reach out to me and he's like, Hey, I'm looking for a new golf ball. Here are some of the characteristics that I'd like to find in my ball or a new ball. And so I went back to the data and I said, all right, based on what you're at, what you're telling me, these would be two balls that I would suggest you going out and, and testing or trying out. And he DM'd me back and he's like, dude, one of those balls is the best ball I've ever played. I, I'm, I'm in love with it. And that to me is so, it, it gives me so much validation and it it's that feeling that you want if you're doing this, because we're not just doing it to, you know, like we've always said, we're not, picking favorites when we're releasing robot data and that that's not the that's not the name of the game here it's about offering up some suggestions on 
future products for you to test and then finding if maybe one of those is is you know the quote unquote winner for you and to have somebody come back and say I tried it these were you you gave me some suggestions I tried them and one of them was a home run that's cool well you, you don't you don't tell the robot who's what what golf ball they're hitting do you Gene you just you just want them to hit it and go find it again <laughs> yeah I uh you know, you know what's you know what's funny about data is I get most of this equipment without any of the marketing spin, so I just get the equipment and test it. And uh, half the time, you know, I can barely even read the name because it's in some weird font. So you know, I don't even know what the full name of the product is. And, and so a lot of times, I'm really blind as to the messaging, and so I literally just look at it as the data. But with golf balls, it's it's especially so, and this ball testing data pulled some really interesting insights out of, you know, some golf balls that there's kind of, you know, there's a category for every player and every price range. And I think by being able to offer those messages to the listeners is really beneficial because when I went and bought these golf balls, I'm standing in the store and I'm overwhelmed. I mean, you have over, it seems like a hundred choices to make, to pick a golf ball. And guess what? They all say they're great. And they all say that they fly the furthest and that they do these things. And so, um, you know, to be able to um, provide information that helps kind of clear, you know, a path to a, a better choice. That's uh, I think a great, great, um, you know, service. For sure. I think that's why Titleist, like, and, and just to, to only credit Titleist only because like they just, they're the ones that do it is the, they do like the white box testing for like their members of like their team Titleist that like part of their like social program. And they don't put what kind of ball it is. And they've, they've tested everything from the tour, tour soft to um, like tour speed, like all they, they've, they've sent out, not just like the pro ones and AVXs and stuff like that. And they just ask, like, does, do you feel that it spins more? Do you feel that it sounds better? And they get that consumer feedback. And I think that's an interesting element of it truly is an unmarked golf ball, right? Like we can always put marker on stuff and have people go through that process. But, but to know that oh, at least it's a certain brand, but that you have no idea what it's going to do to react. I think that's always like a fascinating element because even if you're at a fitting bay and you hand a golfer, say like someone who is at least somewhat in tune to equipment, they're going to say, oh, this one's like a little chunkier. This one's a little thinner. And that to me is like, it's a huge part of the fitting process because you want that that interpretation that a, a robot can't give, that dad is not going to give is like, what does it look like to a player? Because some players can be like, Mon like Monty, right? Colin Montgomery played chunky golf clubs his whole career. He doesn't care, right? But you'll get other players like, like Tiger, who has basically played the exact same blade design for his entire career, right? Like very similar in, in looks and all that stuff. So it's, it's fascinating because... I'm sure Tiger would find it kind of funny to play Monty's clubs and Monty would look down at Tiger's blades and be like, screw you guys. This is stupid. <laughs> like, so I think there, there's that, there's that human element, but at the end of the day, all you're looking for is launch and spin and descent angle, right? Like that's, that's really all you're looking for. And um, when it comes to a fitting, like the important thing is, you know, how far does it, how far does it work? And then if you get into the details, that's when you can, you know, if you end up with two different models when people ask all the time questions and stuff is like, Oh, I'm really down to like model A and B from these like two different companies. So I'm like, oh, honestly, which one did you like better? Like the numbers are so close, which one did you like better? And then usually if you just give them that very straightforward question, they'll go, yeah, I really kind of did like number number two or A or B or whatever. And 
then that's how they they've kind of made that confident decision in like what's going to go in their bag. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was cool. We, I know we already talked robotic golf ball testing insights on on the pod, but I did. You know, like I said, any, anytime you can get validation like that from the just average golfers, I think that that just adds some additional credibility to what we're doing. So, thought that was pretty cool. Anyway, um, I, Gene, I did want to point out after our conversation about Northwestern on the podcast, I got some. I probably got like seven or eight DMs from people showing off their their Northwestern stash. Like whether it was <laughs> irons or or putters or maybe it was a dad's you know their dad's northwestern putter, I just I love it. I love that people still have this because I you know it's one of those brands where we're talking about. It. I'm like nobody has this stuff anymore, not except for like Nick Domingo, who's our instruction editor. Nobody else has northwestern gear in in, in their closet, and of course they do. Of course we're all we're all gear sickos, but I I do love that it's it's still hanging around in some form or fashion. Very cool. Yeah, that was anyway. my first set. That was my my dad bought it. Bought was it, it really? It was wrapped. It was I can remember like we used to go to this um like this big like indoor flea market because there was a bakery there. So you go like once every couple Sundays we'd go to this like big flea market in the city, and we'd get go to the bakery and get like all kinds of stuff. It's like it's almost in, like this big warehouse kind of thing. And my dad, I don't know what a booth or something like that. Again, flea markety stuff too. So, uh, it was like wrapped up in like packing tape and it was a set of irons. And that was like the first thing I remember ever taking to a driving range. That's like so awesome. Northwestern clubs. Cause they sat in the garage for a long time and I didn't use them that much until I got a little older, but um, I, I can distinctly remembering like probably wolfing down a croissant or something. And my dad's like buying golf clubs. I'm like, you can like, I don't know what, I didn't even know what he's buying at the time. Right. I just like, Oh, he's buying something over there. And later on, I re- come to realize that they were like a Northwestern set of probably like ping. I two lookalikes or something. So that's, that's a cool story. Core memories. Anyway, all right. So before we get into a couple of topics, I did want to mention I this is a quiet time of the year. As Gene mentioned, we are starting to ramp up for for 24 club tests, but we're not there quite yet. So get a little bit of time to breathe. And I was going through my gear closet and I posted some pictures up on social of some of the golf balls I found in there. And there were some cool finds. It's ones that I had actually forgotten about. There was a, a box of the the resin protos, resin star protos that Nike had, and it's still in the white box. And it has a note from a uh, signed note from Rory. And then I found a box, another white box of the Callaway Chrome Soft X with the Taco Bell logo on and like i had i had a bunch of people reach out to me saying how much do you want for those golf balls i'm like no they're not for they're not for sale i just was showing them off and found a tin of the old like nike the commemorative golf balls i'm sure people out there have them i know a couple people posted pictures of their their collections but the the tins to commemorate tiger season in 2000 and and anyway it just got me thinking like we all have like some sort of cool item that we that we love in our collection i would say like my favorite one is probably i don't know the nike balls are pretty cool the rory ones just because nike's no longer in the gear business i would say it's it's definitely up there but what what do you have like a favorite gear item like one that's a little bit more obscure or something from from the past that you that you still keep around well that's a good question i've got uh i've got an sldr 430 
which is fun because like I don't like I mean I don't really play it because I love the fairy woods. Like I actually think the fairy woods are probably some of the best fairy woods ever made. Um but that's kind of it as far as like old gear. I do have which is like sitting on a shelf behind the like my desk which I'm sitting at right now is a a top I think it's a tops or upper deck two like 2000 Tiger Woods Masters um bobblehead. Oh, now you nice. see the new you see the new bubble and like I took I used to I took it out of the package I don't really care. Um but I have the card it's still there too but um it's like his little little bobblehead and he's given like the fist pump and stuff. So that's kind of fun. And the reason I like it is now like my, one of my daughters walks my shop, especially like my youngest, she'll look good dad, dad. and she just wants to like bob the heads on them, which is just funny because uh, at the Rocket Mortgage, they had, uh, I think it was on Wednesday. Yeah, I went on the Wednesday. So they had um, they had Tony Finau bobbleheads they were giving out when you came in. And I was like, sw- I came in the media door, so I didn't see them. Like I came in that side near where all the tour vans were. And then I, all these people are walking around with these bobbleheads. Like, where do you get them? Like, just go to the front and get one. So I like beeline right to the front and got my got my free Tony Finau bobblehead. So I brought that home. And then for a week, all my daughter wanted to do is go, bubble, bubble, bubble. That's that she calls it. The that's the little things that that matter the most. Yeah, kids, kids will will spend hours just doing the simplest I, things, oh. like bo- like bobbling the bobblehead. Oh yeah, I but I just so I just realized I do have a pretty cool piece of equipment. So I have a, a Scotty Cameron mill spec um, Newport, and it's uh, it was built. So I, I got it. Uh, I got it. It's brand new. It's like never ever used, and it was a it was a gift from someone um, as like a thank you. Um, so that that's and I I've used it a little bit, but like I really don't like using it because it to me like it has more sentimental value than it has probably you know inherent value as, as far as like being used or sold or anything like that um but uh to me that that is actually a piece of equipment that is that is very cool but it's not because i i use it it actually is more of a, a sentimental value because it was given to me as, as a thank you for something so i'm gonna guess gene because he's not the sentimental type i i will i'm gonna bet that he doesn't have a single piece of like like an item or something that that has that has sentimental value. You stole my line. There we go. <laughs> I knew it. I bet you it's a robot part. We, that we've known each other long enough to where I can read Gene's mind now. He he's not the sentimental type. He's like, whatever. I'm gonna test the new stuff on the robot, and then when I'm done with it, I just ship it back. Oh man, I, it's I, golf I don't want equipment. It. It's about performance. Do I want to? Do I want a piece of golf equipment that doesn't perform as well as the <laughs> the latest have? No, I don't want that. I'll, I'll I'll tell you. I'll tell you that the one thing that I did think about that was kind of cool, and I actually J Wall was one of the first stories we did together. But it was a Pro V1 versus the Balada. And so I went on eBay and bought some Balada golf balls that were still in the wrapper to test. And what I was blown away by was I was told by some, you know, people that I respect in the industry that uh, these balls weren't going to work, that, you know, they had decayed because, you know, they, they have rubber windings on the inside and, you know, they're over 20 years old. Uh I had some kind of legacy data that I went back and looked and set up according and they were within a yard or two of the way that they were 25 years ago. <laughs> and that's, that was, that was kind of interesting for thought on fully equipped. Yeah. It was just, it was just, it was kind of wild to see that, uh, that these golf balls performed just as well as they did. They spun a lot. They launched low, they rose high. 
but I was a performance degradation sitting in a box for 25 years. So that's all I got from the sentimental standpoint. Yeah. The blotters are cool. I don't, I don't know if it was just me, but I remember when I was a kid and I'd go in and get a box of blottos or a box of professionals and you like open up the box and it had this like fresh golf ball smell. I mean, yeah. Arby's laughing because I think he knows what I'm no, talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. But it's they, like, um, it, there's that smell doesn't exist anymore. Like I can go get a box of balls, but it just doesn't smell the same. Didn't they used to soak them? They used to soak them. It, like, part of the process was they would sit in something for like a week or whatever, and then they would like put the covers on them. Like I think that's where that smell comes yeah. from. I'd have to look up the process. It was again, but... it was like it was kind of intoxicating and a little bit addicting. Like you'd get a fresh box and it's like, oh yeah, fresh oh, dozen Dad, right Jonathan? here. He's in his room sniffing smelling golf those balls. Golf balls. <laughs> sniffing golf balls. It's either that or those uh those like the scratch and sniff markers, you know, the the ones <laughs> when you were a kid, like the orange and the purple and the licorice and stuff. And yeah, I was probably not the smartest kid ever. But um, yeah, I just like to sniff golf balls and markers. That was me. Now here's the here's the thing, right? Like if if you have like performance like degradation, like one place where you, you might notice it. Uh, over the time, like as you use a piece of equipment is your grips. Um, and so we should probably let you know that, uh, <laughs> fully equipped is, is brought to you by golf pride because golf pride knows that a grip isn't just a grip. It's a performance part of your golf equipment. And it's the only physical connection you have between you and your clubs. Now we should let you, I can tell you this cause I can editorialize this part is that all of the men's major champions this year have relied on golf pride grips. Uh, they've used something that, you know, because they are playing golf in all weather conditions, they tend to go towards something that, that offers a cord and you yourself at home, you can use something like the MCC, which gives you hybrid technology. So you get cord in your glove hand and something softer in your bottom hand, or there is the Z grip as well. So you have a, a grip that offers more texture as well as a corded performance. So again, whether it's wet or cold, or your hands are sweating, or it's really humid out, you're going to get the ability to grip and gain traction under any circumstances. And when you have the right grip, not only do you have that traction, but you can swing more comfortably. You can swing faster and studies have proven that you can actually gain distance when you are using the right grip as well. And if you're someone who's just looking for comfort, there's also options like the CP2 and the CPX. CPX uses a bunch of different textures on the grip to create comfort. And when you have a more comfortable grip, you can practice longer. You're not going to get that sting when you happen to miss hit shots, although no one really ever miss hit shots, right? And then, you know, if you're practicing longer. Hopefully you're going to get a little better as well. Now, if you want to try any of these grips out right now, if you go to golfpride.com, you can learn about all those grips and more because uh, they do offer putter grips and a whole bunch of other options. But you can use the code fully equipped. That is F-U-L-L-Y-E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D to get free shipping on your next order at golfpride.com. That is fully equipped. Use that code for free shipping at golfpride.com. That is available for all U.S. orders, and there is no minimum purchase required. So if you just want to try a few grips, it's a great way to test them out. All right. So I was talking to, to Kent Notes, front of the pod, being to a rep. And this time of the year, as we've, as we've discussed, there's just not a lot of gear news coming from tour. I mean, unless a big name's making a putter change like Scotty Scheffler did. Um, yeah, just just not a lot of, of compelling gear stories. And so I was just, just small talk with him and I asked, Hey, Hey, what's, what's hot. What's, what's kind of on the rise for ping this season. And he mentioned a club to me that I gotta be honest. I, it, it surprised me. He told me that, that 
you know, the beginning of the year, let's just go back. So if you look at where, where Ping started the year with the G430 lineup, they had two fairway woods. They had their Max model, Ping G430 Max, and they also had an SFT model, which is their uh, straight flight technology, a little bit more of a draw bias model to help straighten out that slice. The one that was missing was the LST. It was their their low spin version that we've typically seen from them with, with G425, but they didn't release it until six months after G430 had their initial release. And so I think a lot of people expect, well, when, when G430 LST comes on tour, it's going to be the most popular model. In actuality, it's this season, at least, you know, seven months into the year, it is the max model. And Kenton was just talking me through, you know, just, he said the success of G430 max, you know, it took some time, but he, he said it almost felt inevitable because they started to figure out that this club was was hanging in ball speed with the other manufacturers when they were doing head-to-head testing with the pros. Uh, but it also had the, because it is the max, it had more forgiveness. It had a higher launch. And we'll discuss that here in just a minute based on our, our robotic data with Gene. But the one thing about it was it just, it spin a little bit was too high. And so they were able to help get golfers or I shouldn't say golfers pros into this max model by adding roughly four to eight grams of hot melt to the toe and moving the loft sleeve to the small minus position. If you're familiar with ping, you know what that means. So it's, it's not, it's not a a full, it's not a full turn down on the loft. It's just, it's just more of a a minor turn down in the loft. And so doing the, the hot melt in the toe and turning the loft down slightly helped optimize the launch and spin for, for golfers. Now they're using this in mostly five to seven woods. Some are using it in three woods, but the interesting thing about this max club is that it, for the fourth straight week, going back to last week of the John Deere, it was the most played furry wood in the field at a PGA tour event. And that to me is fascinating because if you look at what max models have traditionally been, if, if you mention the word max to a golfer, the the connotation that they attach to it is ultra forgiving, oversized um, for a mid to high handicapper. That's that's kind of what golfers, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but this is what I've heard from, from t- talking to golfers. That's what they think of when they think of a max product. And now we're seeing a max product sort of take over the PGA tour in the fairway wood department. And again, I don't know, maybe it's just because it's middle of the year and it's quiet, but I find that kind of cool. You know, there was, there was a point a few years back when TaylorMade had a couple of their draw bias drivers that were making waves on tour and Jason Day was trying one and Keegan Bradley was using it. And, you know, every once in a while you get a, a trend like that one that you just don't expect to see, but yeah, I mean, a max, a max product. Does that, does that surprise you at all? Or is that something that, that seems like it would fit out on tour? I think the the biggest thing when it comes to these products, and and this is the this is the this is the element that a lot of people don't seem to understand is a lot of high handicap golfers they struggle with too much spin because they hit down on the ball, they come across it, and they create excess spin. Professionals they create ridiculously good impact dynamics. So because of those those impact dynamics, a lot of times they don't spin the ball enough, especially with fairy woods. And this is why. 
again, talking to not just some of the ping reps, but other reps as well, is a lot of pros, like modern pros now, they're so dialed into their swing. They're so dialed into like something like TrackMan or, or FlightScope. They know their numbers that the way their driver swing does not translate to a three-wood swing. And a lot of pros hate their three-woods. It's like a club that they don't like, they, they don't comfortable hitting it off the deck because to hit a driver well, you have to come, a lot of them hit a power fade. So they're hitting, they're coming across the ball slightly with an open face, hitting high in the face and creating very little spin and hitting these knuckle cuts, which is great. Now, if you try hitting up and across on a three wood, it is not good. You have to hit down on a fairy wood. And when you hit down in a slightly, on a slightly descending blow and you hit it above the center of gravity, you're not going to create a lot of spin. And again, they have a lot of speed. And they're really good players and they're good at hitting that spot where they need to. So they don't create a ton of spin. So they want to see a little bit of loft, which those shallow fairway woods do from ping. They're a little bit shallower. You open that club face up and all of a sudden you have a fairy wood that is going to actually create a little bit more lift than something that would be considered a low spin product. Because if you get them into that low spin product, they're not going to hit it very good. And considering that a driver is designed to go as high and as far as humanly possible, a three wood is designed to go a certain distance, right? And we've heard it from player like guys at TaylorMade as well. Like you know, they they've always do this video when they release a new three wood. They'll either get like Rory or DJ or someone like that, and they'll be like, "Hey, Rory or DJ, hit the um, hit the three wood, hit the strong three wood," and he hits it as far as his driver. And then he goes, "Well, why do I need a three wood that goes that far?" I'm sure that's what he says. I'm sure that's what he probably sounds like. <laughs> but it's like, very accurate, RB. He doesn't need that three wood to go as far as his driver. He that's why he plays a I think it's a five or four wood and a seven wood. And I think it's sometimes he's played nine woods because he de-lofts it, he hits it so good, hits it a little higher on the face and doesn't create a lot of spin, but creates a lot of launch. And it I think players need to realize that there is a there's a huge market. There's a reason why they design these golf for a lot of players. And yes, tour players get a little bit of extra tweaking, but kind of similar to other things, like you can adjust maybe the weight in the sole, you can adjust the hosel. And all these things are going to give you those numbers from a fitting perspective where you're going to see a huge benefit. And that's why you don't see a lot of players into those low spin models on tour because they already create really good numbers and they're looking for a distance. Whereas for a lot of players, say even like some higher handicap players, they might fit into a ping LST driver because they come across it. So you throw the weight in the heel, you make the club a little bit more upright. And next thing you know, you, you've hit you. You're it's working just as good or better than something that is like an SFT, because it's more draw bias, and a player might not need that. So it, it, it comes down to the fitting. But I really do think that it's because players a lot of times don't spin it too much. They think oh, tour players they spin it too much because they swing it fast. In fact, usually their dynamics are so good, it's the opposite. Yeah, I you know one of the things that this is, it's a good reminder that you just should put clubs in, in boxes. You know, we and I, we, I'm guilty of doing this, but you really shouldn't just assume that a club doesn't fit your game just simply because it's a draw bias model or or the max forgiveness. It is important to try it out. If it's if it's a driver that you like or it's a brand that you typically play, I would recommend just trying the lineup just to see. So, I mean, you might you might be surprised. And if if you're looking, Gene, at you know, we were just talking about this before we started recording the pod. Like, what were the numbers on? on the G430 Max in relation to the rest of the three woods that we tested. And this was a three-wood test. This was a 15-degree three-wood that we tested. Um, we tested all the new models on the robot. Ball speed for the G430 Max was was near the top end. It was less than, there was less than two miles an hour difference in, in ball speed between the G430 Max and the, the fastest 
three with that we tested. Launch was um, let's see, it was fifteen point nine, which if you're looking was it was less than a degree from the highest launching three wood we saw and it had you know i'd say middle of the road spin nothing nothing about it really stands out to me it it just feels like when you look at those numbers it's a really good three wood that does a lot of things well well and and to your point and to rb's point it's kind of interesting nothing stands out from a specific number, but the totality of the numbers really do stand out, meaning that it's in the upper third for ball speed, right? And usually upper third for ball speed means really low spin. You know, you have to rob Peter to pay Paul. In other words, to get higher ball speed, usually you've got a lower spin. It doesn't have a lower spin. It's got kind of a medium spin, like you said, but it's got a high launch and usually high launch means high spin. So it's, you know, looking at the numbers, when you look at them just kind of by themselves, they they don't stand out. But then, you know, one of the things that we do, um, you know, when we're kind of compiling this is I'll break it out for ball speed change, spin rate, and you can really start seeing some trends. And that's where, you know, as you guys were talking, I was like, huh, it's in the upper third as far as ball speed. Huh. It's in the upper third as far as launch angle. Huh. It's it's right in the middle as far as spin. And what's interesting about it is you don't really see a combination like that. You see combinations that are really high launch and high spin or low launch and low spin, but they seem to have found the kind of center of gravity formula with the shape and design to be able to provide a lot of um benefits and especially to tour players like RB was say because they want to hit the ball higher but spin is not their um their friend they you know they they don't want excess spin and so um it, it yeah it just it kind of seems to hit a sweet spot which is it, that's the fun thing about data when you hear you know kind of uh trends on the tour or even trends with players is you can usually go back and find out a correlation by looking at the data as to why a club's succeeding or why a club's failing, you know, and and not taking hold. I think Ping Ping puts a lot of stock in the consistency face profile as well, which I think you know they started with the I think they started with the driver of the fair. I can't remember which one they started. I feel like it was Fairwood in the four ten, but by having that that loft actually turned lower on the lower portion of the face and higher on the upper part to help kind of counteract face like contact points. You get a shot that if you, they do hit a little lower on the face, it comes out, but it doesn't spin quite as much. And if, if you hit a little higher, it might launch a little higher, but you're not going to get um, the complete like dead ball that doesn't spin and, and floats. So it is, it is a really cool to your point, Gene. I think this is where a lot of clubs in like almost basically every OEM has this category where you can find a driver like Hideki uses the standard ZX5 driver and you're like, you know, that's like medium spin and you know, it should, should you know, be, why is he not using the LS? But there's the, these irons that kind of fit in every category or drivers or fairy woods where you could really fine tune it for like a high speed player. That's it's just going to work. Or you have it for a, say a higher handicap or a slower player. And they're going to have a huge benefit because of the way it is designed to, incorporate all of these adjustability elements for distance spin launch and descent again descent angle especially when it comes to irons or you know talking about a fairy wood 
Okay, so before we get on to the next topic, just to wrap up this talk about Ping G430 Max Fairway, I had a buddy of mine, and this was not solicited. He just reached out to me on the side about this. He had this to say after reading the the story about Ping G430 Max. He said, hand to God, I just divorced my 425 LST for Max. It's a boomstick. And he's a really good player and a guy who could certainly benefit from an LST product. So there you go. It's four straight weeks out on tour, number one fairway. Buddy of mine who's scratch player says so a boomstick. So maybe it's something to go test. You know, I want to know who has it in the bag. I want to know if Shane Bacon. Congratulations, Mr. Golf Media. Uh, just Golf Media who can the, actually play golf. Who can really play. Um, yeah. Qualified for the U.S. Was it Mid-Am or Am? Now it's U.S.A.M. Yeah, it's at, at, Am. Yeah, at Cherry so, Hills. Uh, yeah, he's playing. A great, he's going to get to play an amazing golf course. Yeah, Shane's Shane's a good buddy. Congrats to Shane. Good, good, uh, good point in that ad RB. Yeah, that's yeah. You lefties, special. you lefties stick together. Yeah, well, we stick together because we're lefties. But but his game and my game couldn't be uh, couldn't be further apart. <laughs> anyway, okay, so. RB wrote a story this week for golf.com. Definitely go check it out to get all the insights. But it pertains to a piece of gear that I would say more golfers should be using. And that's graphite iron shafts. And, you know, if you go back 20 years and you think about, think about watching Phil Mickelson play the Masters. And that was like, I mean, that was pretty much one of his first rounds with these Yonix irons with the graphite shafts. And there was, I remember the broadcast because they were talking about it and how Phil had mentioned that there were some inconsistencies in how the irons were flying. Like sometimes he'd, he'd get, he'd get one that just same swing, but he'd goose it and it'd go, you know, an extra 10 yards beyond where he was in his normal number and how he was struggling with overall dispersion with these irons and you think back to where graphite iron shafts were at that point i mean nobody was really using them out on tour except for phil because for that exact reason that there wasn't a lot of data and they were so inconsistent and now you go to to today's products like the the fujikura axiom that rb tested and they perform they perform almost identical to steel in a lot of the ways that golfers like, and they feel the same. I mean, what RB? What's what's been your general take on on graphite iron shafts over the years? Are are you warm into the idea of of using something like this for your gamer set? I have, uh, I want to say four, three or four sets at least of of sha- of irons that are sha- uh, shafted exclusively with like graphite top to bottom. The biggest thing is to your point, twenty years ago. Again, I'd have people walk into a golf store and they'd be like, oh, I said, oh, you, have you considered graphite before? And they would go, oh, there's women's clubs, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold your horse, buddy. Let's just stop right there. Okay. First of all, it doesn't really matter because there's, it goes, I sit and I always say, this is a great analogy. It's like, okay, what's, what club do you try to hit the longest and straightest? Well, it's my driver. Do you know how much the graphite shaft weighs? Well, like 50, they're like, no. I said, it weighs 55 grams. So imagine if you make it shorter and add, 30 more grams to it. Do you think it's going to get stiffer or do you think it's going to get softer? And they would go, Oh, oh well, yes, of course. Okay. You know, yes, you can find soft apps that are in that same category, but graphite has this ability to actually be a lot stiffer 
and create a lot more, not, not necessarily more torsional stability, but torsional stability in a different way because it is not um, homogenous like steel, right? Like if you have a steel shaft, it's the same steel from top to bottom. They're not putting different materials in this shaft. Whereas for like example, the Axiom, they use the Velocor material, which is like a, a stiffer graphite inside of the shaft to help with uh, stability and torsional stability, right? They don't put that in the whole shaft. They put it more towards the tip where it's really required. Uh, the reason being the outside diameter and the inside diameter is a lot smaller. So you, because it's smaller, you need to be able to like reduce that torsional effect because as you create something that's smaller, it's going to torque more inherently versus something that's wider. And so you have this extra stability and, you know, there's lots, the thing that I think is a huge benefit is for players who are taller because you can go to something like a one Oh five in this or, or like, yeah, again, Axiom is what I tested, but there are players like famous Instagram long drive fitness guy, Drew Cooper, who's been using these at the LA shafts in his, and they, he plays over length. He's an inch over. And if he was to use a 125 or 130 gram steel to match his swing speed, the clubs are going to weigh a freaking ton. So why can you, why would you not have a shaft that is longer, a little bit lighter, potentially hit your swing weight mark. It doesn't weigh like so, so much that the club is overall total weight is really heavy but you get all of this performance benefit and out, without the wear and tear on your body because of the extra weight that's forcing you to try and swing this really heavy golf club. So that to me is where there's the big benefit towards the stronger player. It's always been there for players who are in the lower swing speed category, but for players that are, you know, kind of in the middle, like I, I actually probably ride right in the middle. I prefer like 115 to 120 gram steel shaft in most of my, most of my irons. The one that I tested was a 105 stiff, didn't do anything weird to it. I just, you know, tipped them normally as they recommended, checked them on a frequency scale. They were basically bang on. And from there, I took them to the golf course and they were awesome. They didn't feel, you know, I hate using the, the same kind of terms all the time, but like they don't feel dead. They don't feel like I'm not getting feedback. They do everything that I want a, a, a shaft to do in any product, not whether it be a putter or a driver or whatever. And you get all of this performance to control the golf ball, but you get it at a lighter weight. And just like when we talked about with grips, something that helps reduce vibration on miss hits, I'll take it any day of the week. Yeah. Gene, have you done any robot testing with steel versus graphite in the oh, iron? Yeah. yeah, quite a bit. And, you know, to to second all those points, you know, you, you, you simply have more flexibility from a design standpoint and meaning that you can put the bend point in different positions. You can torsionally adjust the shaft. You can play with weight. You, you can just do things that you can't with steel. It's not a, whereas with steel, yes, there's lightweight steel. Yes, there's slightly more flexible steel, but steel, <laughs> excuse the pun, is pretty rigid from a material standpoint as far as being able to design, whereas graphite is much more wide open. So that's number one. Number two, that isn't talked about as much, but especially amongst the sicko set that hit a lot of golf balls, you get a lot more energy absorption out of composites than you do out of steel. Steel sends a lot of that energy to your wrists, to your elbows, you know, for contact. So if you're if you're one of these players that beats a lot of golf balls um, and you're over the age of 40, 45, you might want to start looking at composites just simply from a wear and tear perspective that they'll give you a lot longer to be able to hit golf balls without wearing out um, kind of key points on your body. Yeah. I don't know why I don't play graphite. 
you know, I've, I think I've talked about it before. I shattered my left elbow when I was playing basketball in high school. And from basically that point forward, I've had like early onset arthritis and it's, you know, it's easy to maintain right now. Cause I'm, I still feel relatively young. And so I can pop some Advil if I'm going to play 36 or if, if it starts to get a little bit tight, but I, yeah, I should probably go to graphite. There's, there's so many, there's so many benefits and as RB found from testing, uh, you know, performance wise, they're, they're almost identical, if not identical to steel. So there's really no reason to not try it. And there is the bag and the, the benefit here plays more so into the, for a lot of the new graphite stuff is that you can get to a hundred grams and have something that is extremely stiff and extremely stable where you will not get that with steel, right? Like uh, a tour player could use a hundred gram graphite shaft and have no issue. Whereas a, a tour player might struggle with some control with a hundred gram or sorry, hundred gram graphite. Then you go to hundred gram steel because of that homogeneous material and I've talked to shaft designers, like you can't, you cannot make a low launch or a low quote unquote, low launch 70 gram steel shaft. It's basically impossible because of the weight profile and just the, the, the amount of bend that it's going to create. Like it's, it's not doable. Whereas as you get into the heavier weights, you get into lower launch. It's like when people are like, Oh, I have, a, I have a smooth tempo, but I want something that's like a high launch steel shaft and 130 grams, which again, you get asked weird questions sometimes by golfers <laughs> and it's like, it doesn't really exist. Like you need to try something different. Like you, ha you have to go to this different profile and it's like, it's the same reason why you don't see a lot of, you could get something that is actually pretty soft if in a hundred grams in steel, if you wanted to, but a lot of times it's going to be stiffer because of the way the material is designed. And I think that is the benefit, especially for players who might be using or might need to use longer golf clubs trying to put 125 gram steel shaft and then go that extra inch or inch and a half. If someone's really tall and I know it's an odd fit, but when you are looking at trying to gather all of these different things to make someone play better and find these little variances in, in, in spec to get them to, to the point where they're going to play their best. I think that's where you start to start looking at this. And again, from a stability standpoint, I would put them up against anything and they're not going to have a huge issue. Much like yourself, Jonathan, I broke my wrist playing hockey as a, as a late teenager and like com compressed a couple bones in my wrists and I still don't have the same amount of flexibility that I did as a kid. And there was a year when I, I, I played quite a bit and I had to go to graphite. Like it just, and it was a game changer. It was an absolute game changer as far as vibration dampening. And I've slowly moved back into steel, but I can, because I have an, a couple sets kicked around, I've, I've definitely dabbled in graphite. And this set here is, uh, is one of the, one of the few that will go into the very regular rotation of clubs that I like to play. So yeah. Again, if, if you're dealing with some sort of a, a sports injury or just an injury in general, and you play a lot of golf, graphite's the way to go. Now, so. the other thing too, which I think is like, not only is graphite, like, you know, you get like cool paint jobs and all kinds of stuff. Right. Um, but it, 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 there is that performance benefit and, you know, another place you can get a lot of performance benefit and look really cool as well is with your apparel. And, we are also brought to you by Callaway Apparel uh, because they do one thing and they do it really right. And that is create the right style, the right comfort and the right performance. So you can look and play your best on the golf course. And those who don't know, Callaway Apparel is actually uh, manufactured by Perry Ellis. 
Perales is known for making high quality apparel that is packed with innovation and they wouldn't put anything out there if it didn't meet their high quality standards. And that's what they do with all of their stuff. Some of the features include swing tech. So they're stretching in a lot of the seams, opti dry. So you get your moisture wicking. There's UV block sun protection. You know, you want to stay safe out there. And the one thing, and I've talked about this before, and I'm going to keep mentioning it because we're getting into the time of summer. You could be out there and, I don't know what it's like where you are, Jonathan, but those little pop-up thunderstorms can be a real pain. It's happened a couple times this week where I'm like, ah, maybe I can go sneak out after dinner. And within 30 minutes, those dark clouds become pouring rain. And if you are happen to be caught in the rain, Cali makes fantastic uh, weather gear. So whether you're looking for short sleeve rain gear, long sleeve rain gear, stuff that's maybe going to keep you a little bit warmer, they all have layering pieces as well. And before they came on board, you know, I, I, I got uh, a little emotional talking about St. Andrews that one time with Eugene, but the thing that I didn't have to worry about was I actually wore Callaway rain gear when I was there. That was, you know, they didn't pay me for any of that stuff. That's wow. what I used. That's what I, that's what I trusted. You can all, I got the pictures to prove it. I'm standing there on the Swilkin bridge wearing my, my Callaway rain gear because I did not want to risk it. And I tested a whole bunch of stuff before I left and I really liked it. And that's why I use it. So for anyone who is interested in any type of Callaway apparel, you can go to callawayapparel.com and use code C-A-L-F-E-20 to get 20% off your order. That is at callawayapparel.com, C-A-L-F-E-20. There we go. There we go, 20% off. I got the receipts. That was before they even came on board. There was nothing there. I just, that's what I trusted. So, and that's what I continue to use. Arby's been a day one guy with Callaway Apparel. All right. Couple of gear questions and then we'll hit stop on this week's pod the first one a little bit more technical but i still think that it's it's an interesting it's interesting question to discuss it's from john quay on instagram he said i've been using a gen one tailor-made sim tie three wood for a couple seasons and love it but functionally it goes too far so i bought a tour issue gen one sim tie five wood head the thing is the line goes a little upright. So I was thinking about the time you mentioned, he's talking about me when uh, I went and got into a fairway wood with a shorter shaft, which is true. Uh, he was wondering what performance characteristics he should consider. The current build of his three wood is a 15 degree with a Diamanda Mitsubishi Diamanda D plus LE 80 TX at 43 and a quarter. He wants to get the same shaft in a 90 TX. And he was thinking in the range of 42 to 41 inches long. Um, he's just like, what, what, and this is more of a question for RB being the, the expert builder in the room, but what should he consider if he's going to be going shorter, but to a heavier shaft? Um, he mentioned he's going to be getting some different weights to fiddle around with. What, what, is there anything else that you would say is maybe a blind spot that he might not see, but should consider when he's looking to build this, this shorter fairway? So a couple things uh, that are, are really good to consider. Um, you don't always have to go to a, a heavier weight when you are going so much shorter. A lot of people default to just going to like 10 grams heavier. You don't have to, especially when you are looking at a three wood, but if that's the way this person is going, uh, the thing is to consider head weight, which is very important. He's already mentioned that. Use the tailor Google. It's you, Look, you know how to use Instagram and send us a message. Use Google and type in tailor-made loft sleeve settings and it'll give you lie angle. So you might be able to adjust your lie angle a little bit or just keep an eye on it as you are, if you are messing with loft. Um, and then shorter weight again is, is the big thing or sorry, shorter length. As you go shorter, you effectively 
make a golf club play flatter. And by doing so, you might find that if you, especially 43 and a quarter inch three wood, and especially that, that original sim tie fairy wood is a freaking rocket. It is still a rocket to this day. It's probably one of the lowest spin fairy woods that they ever made. Um, so for players off the tee, it's great, but again, off the deck, it can fly a little low and it's not going to generate a lot of, a lot of stopping power. If you are using it for that kind of, uh, of shot, or you're just hitting it too close to your driver. So make sure that I would always start to start longer, lighter head, and then just slowly inch down. It might cost you a couple of grips. We got a discount code for that too, but you just maybe start at 42 and a half and then see where it goes and then work with lead tape and then find that spec and then stick with it. I think that's the big thing. A lot of people, and again, you, you have adjustable golf clubs, so you can mess with them, but start, don't, don't just go immediately like 41 and a half inches and be like, Oh man, I really wish I didn't cut it that short. Right. Like start along and work your way down in length. Again, it's way cheaper to buy a new grip when you get free shipping with us as well. And then it is to like put an extension in the golf shaft that you was expensive already. And then you cut it down. So that, that, that's my tip, especially for finding a three wood. Cause I do that off, like be very frank. I have some three woods that I use more off the tee. And I usually start similar to our, our, our question asker around 43 and a half to 43 and a quarter. And I'll work my way down until I find something that's comfortable from a head weight and total weight perspective. And then I stick with it. So Start long, work your way into that five, but going to that five wood, which I think is 18 or 17 degrees opening. You're going to have a, a, again, basically you're building a really nice forward, which is kind of the idea here. Yeah. That sim tie, the original is just, it, it is a rocket ship. It's a word that I use to describe a lot of really fast golf clubs, but it is a rocket ship. So I, I agree with RB. If you end There's up a few like members a of our staff forward, that still have them, that still use yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. Be a great golf club. All right. Did, did you guys get the pictures that I texted about the the wedge? Did you see that? Yep. Okay. Yep. So Gimme Golf on Instagram asked, he's starting the wedge process and he wants to know what he can learn from his wear pattern. Now, you're most people are probably listening to this podcast, and this is uh this is not a visual medium. So we'll we'll just kind of let you know what we're looking at here. It's a Cleveland RTX Zipcore wedge with some, I would say, very heavy wear, kind of mid to to heel on this wedge. Would you guys agree? Yep. Very very noticeable wear of very the finish noticeable. on on from the from the basically the the middle of the groove towards the hosel. That whole like if you were to draw like a crescent shape there all the finish is worn out on the sole. So that's probably the best way to describe it for anyone who's listening. But yeah, it's uh, it is, <laughs> he, he definitely has a wear pattern of the way he hits shots with his golf club. Holy smokes. Yeah, very much so. And I think, anyway, I, I looked at this and I always hate giving suggestions on wedges. I mean, if, if that RTX zip core is working for you and you like it, just get a fresh set. But if you're looking for something different, I, I totally agree with what he's asking, which is look at look at the sole of your wedge. And see if you can can kind of, uh, you know, the same way that we all try and and glean insights out of the dirt, as as Tiger would call it. We want we can sometimes figure things out by looking at the soles of our wedges. Like where where are the wear marks? Where are you, you know, are you typically impacting it in a way where you're getting a lot of heavy wear in that in that heel area, like like Gimme Golf is, 
you know, you probably are going to want to look for a wedge that has some, some maximum heel relief and, and maybe even some, some trailing edge relief. I mean, what, when you look at that guys, what is, what is your first inclination? If you were the fitter here and you were looking at this wedge, like what were your, what would your suggestions be? My mine is lie angle, you know, that, that if you're hitting your wedge, I'm wondering if he's hitting everything to the left and closing that, you know, um, that wedge down because of that impact on the heel. It doesn't look like it's an equal disbursement of uh, impact with the ground. And generally when you hit with heel first, that club has a tendency of turning over and vice versa if you hit with toe first. And so it just looks like now here's the interesting part. And this is what's so fascinating about the human element I can see that absolutely robotically and quantifiably this person might have adjusted their game accordingly. You know, they might, they might come in with their wedge a little bit open because they're hitting it on the heel and they're like, no, I'm, I'm still hitting the ball straight, but you're having to adjust because of the performance characteristics um, of the wedge are coming through at what they're less than designed for. That's probably the best way to say it. And therefore, what do we talk about all the time with equipment? We tr- The main thing with equipment is trying to manage your miss. And in this case, your miss is going to be much more extreme because you're kind of off balance as far as impact position. So uh, lie boards are just amazing but you can do it with tape you can do it with all kinds of things you can look at wear patterns but if you see a wear pattern that's not equal um the the first thing to do is go to a fitter and and find out what your lie angle is dynamically and if it's off adjust that that's a real simple adjustment and that gives you the best shot of kind of you know really being able to then look at your swing and go, okay, I'm not compensating for, you know, where I'm making impact. To your, to your point, And just, just to add to that gene, cause everything you said was, was great. Um, especially with lie angle, a lot of players don't play their wedges flat enough and that could be a telltale sign because you are seeing more, more wear and impact in the heel, but a great way to analyze the soul is if you have a, a if you, if you are someone who uses more of a full soul, wedge or you've never gone for a wedge fitting and you just have kind of what would be considered a pretty standard sole design. You don't have anything that's overly offering relief on the heel or toe. If you see a lot of wear on the leading edge towards the leading edge, it probably means that you have a lot of forward shaffling. So you probably need something that has either more bounce or has more of a, a relief on the leading edge. If you see more wear on the trailing edge, it either means that maybe you need to lower bounce because you're not getting that, that leading edge lower to the ground. If you are hitting open face shots and then from, or you're using a sole that might be too wide if you are opening the face. So you could use more bounce quote unquote, but then have more relief to get that leading edge lower when you are hitting those shots. And then as to just go right back to what Gene said, if you see a lot of wear on the heel, you might need to go flatter and which is very rare, but if you see more wear on the toe, you might need to go more upright. And that is a great way to analyze your wedges and looking at uh, the the person that messaged us. I think that is probably the way to go is maybe something with a little bit more relief and something that that has a flatter line. I almost completely, I don't know why, but I almost completely did not even think about line. I was going great to grind, but line is a huge factor when it comes to wedges. Where would you expect to see impact if you're seeing that sort of, sort of heel wear? 
I would say either low heel because they, again, it could just be that that player is hitting a lot of shots with that single wedge open face. They're comfortable hitting that shot. So they're probably hitting it kind of that lower portion of the face, or they're actually hitting it higher on the toe because they're steeper and they're coming in and, and it, it's hit, catching the toe and almost hitting like a draw wedge because of, you know, heel impacts closes the club face and does that. And I think this, this lens to exactly what we talked about, what you kicked off at the beginning of the show was robot testing, right? Because bounce will vary vertical contact point on a, on a wedge. And depending on the wedge, like, you know, we had the, what was it? The, I think it was the Mizuno that had all the weight up really, really high, had like a crazy amount of ball speed. And like, that was the biggest shock for me from the robot testing when we did the wedges was, um, or at least getting the data from Gene. I was not there, <laughs> but by Gene doing the robot da- data was, I was like, holy crap, there's a huge difference in ball speed consistency off these wedges and they're all the same long like that to me when you think about where mass is located in a golf club i was like uh, is it, like i didn't argue with you guys i was very curious to see what happened but like you know i did not go in with the hypothesis of saying we're going to see like a big big di- difference in ball speed from wedge to wedge and then you get the numbers and like again i just saw the numbers at the end not going through the process and it's like wow that, there's actually like a huge difference in launch and spin out of these wedges and that's that's really cool to see and that's a fitting story right there, depending on how our player hits their hits their wedges. Yeah. I love it. And and I actually like the fact that he didn't send a picture of the face of the wedge because yeah. we're left guessing. <laughs> yeah, we're we're kind of guessing a, a little bit, but I, I would I would say that we're probably bang on if you were gonna see the the face, I would say low, kind of low into the heel, or as RB mentioned, a little bit higher towards the toe. Anyway, all right, one more question for this week. And this is a fun one. Mike on Instagram asks, what's the one piece of gear you're most excited for in 2024? Well, if anyone's seen anything, it's Gene. <laughs> well, just, just looking into your crystal ball, what, like what from this year, I think what he's asking is like, what from this year is, is getting you excited for upcoming product launches in, in 24? If, if I was to guess, and, and just from, I know I, I posted about it, I can't talk tech details, but talking about the Titleist irons and in general, I think companies are getting so good at cr- like locating centers of gravity and creating forgiveness and creating MOI that the, f- the, the feel story is becoming a big thing. And I think we're going to continue to see this push because 15 years ago when the Sasquatch came out and it was big and square and it was very forgiving and everyone remembers what it sounded like. It sounded like a cowbell. And Cobra had a driver that sounded very, very loud as well. Uh, and then they, it was like, I think it was the original LD, which was kind of cowbelly shaped. And then the next one, they reduced the ridges and even Ping. Ping had the G425 and some people didn't like the sound. G430 got way better when it came to the sound and acoustics. And this, this just leaking into all the clubs while also gaining performance. So you're not sacrificing the sound and feel of performance. And I think for not just players clubs, because they're, they're generally going to fit into that category. Anyway, something that feels good, whether it be a one piece forged or a cast club that has a medallion or something like that. But across the entire line, I think you're going to see less of this, this push and pull as far as feel and performance. And they're really going to find a good balance. Cause I think the performance is there across the board from every OEM. I think that to me is, is that next little element of, what we're going to see for consumers, especially in the game improvement category. For for me, uh, and this is just a guess, but it's kind of based on history. I'm really curious to see what TaylorMade does 
with the all composite head. And the reason is this will be year three and it's usually year three and four when, uh, you know, take like jailbreak technology. They really, they know what they've got. Now they're, they're expanding on it and they know what they, they know, you know, originally they innovated, they created something different, but with anything, your first generation is never going to be as good as your second or your third. And now they've got a couple years under their belt of real experience with this product. And because of that, that's usually when you can take that experience and innovate to another level. And um, I'm, I'm very curious to see what, what they come up, up with because it, it, it may be something I, I have no insider knowledge whatsoever. This is just based on, kind of a historical understanding of how these companies innovate, you know, when they go to a new technology platform. Yeah. I think for me, it's, it's actually, it's funny that Gene brought that up because that was one of the, that was one of the topics that I was considering discussing just year, year three for, for the composite, but I'll, I'll go with, with AI and the irons. It feels like, you know, we started to see it with Callaway when they when they started having their supercomputer design the the faces of their drivers, and now we've started to see AI take hold in the iron space. And it just feels like every year there's one more manufacturer that's starting to embrace AI, and that that to me just I I feel as if. AI is, I mean, AI is the future in a lot of, in a lot of areas, but I, I certainly think in golf, it is like, it just has endless possibilities, especially in, in the iron space where, you know, you can, you can design different iron faces for different iron models and, and depending on the size of the, the, the head and, and what you're trying to get to, you can really take all of that data that you have, all that historical data on, on how certain golfers impact the golf club and you can design each one of these irons, just like Callaway started doing. You can design each iron specifically for for those misses. I think iron technology in in general is is one space that I am I'm keeping an eye on, a, a serious eye on going. I'd probably say the next five years, but I do. I want to see who else. We've seen Cobra, we've seen Callaway. Who else is gonna Who else is gonna join? and start touting their, their AI designed irons. So that's, that's the one I think for 24, I'm just curious to see who else is going to, going to join the fray. And I think that plays back into, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll shout it again. Cause that was great. Is the the interview with Marty talking about the, the co-pilot, right? Like that's, that's an AI, it's not AI generated, but it's an algorithm that they built to help learn how players need gapping. And if I remember the way Marty kind of phrased it was like, they saw that as clubs get faster, like ball speed wise, they needed to add a different wedge loft into that set. Like it's physically changing how the companies are building sets because they have data, not just from their own fittings, but thanks to companies like Arcos, which they partnered with. And Ping's not the only one that uses Arcos data to help figure out ways to design clubs and, and gapping and all of these different things. They just find a unique way to do it. And so the the idea of the learning part of it i think plays into not again to your point not just irons but like the way clubs are designed in general and i think that that to me is fascinating because like did i think a couple of years ago i'd be messing around with an ironwood no 
but the way it works, the way my gapping works, it is, it is the club that is in my bag because data has told me that I need a club for that gap and I play better because of it. So, um, that's a, I like that idea. I like, I think just think it's going to get, it's just going to continue to permeate into like every part of what we do. Yeah, I totally agree. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for episode 198 of fully equipped. As always, if you want more social gear news, check out Twitter. We are at fully underscore equipped Instagram. We are at fully equipped golf. We usually drop some giveaways as well. So, um, just kind of keep an eye on those. Thanks as all for listening. We'll see you around.